0: Scores!
1: scores. Off the glass at left corner to, Aguila. Aguila left to Yale, a gitler. Again, the left circle. Happy to yell the shot.
0: Save made by all the Another shot. They score! The blades with it! Yeah! Baby! They score! And the sea of red erupts! Flamestock starts now on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Here's Pat Steinberg and Logan Gordon.
2: Okay, let's get things going on this Tuesday, November 14th from our Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. Flamestock, this hour, underway with Logan Gordon. My name is Pat Steinberg on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, Logo. Hi, Patrick. Good to have you here. It's good to see your face. It's good to see your face as well. Uh, you and I have not had... The opportunity to talk about Nikita Zadorov in person. We've texted about it. In fact, if it weren't for you on Friday night, I probably would have been 10 or 15 minutes late on the news, but you got that uh, Kevin Weeks tweet to me immediately and completely derailed our postgame show. That's what so I do. Thanks, Logo. You're welcome. Uh, no, that was uh, quite helpful. We, we would have been missing on it had you not done that. And the buzz surrounding Zadorov is still there. His trade request isn't going anywhere. And this is going to be, I think it'll become gradually less of a topic, but is going to remain hanging over this team until there's a resolution. We know the Flames are in no hurry to make a deal because why would they be? You've got less leverage now than had they decided to keep this internal. And as a result, I think the kind of logical way to push back on a public trade request that you didn't need is Okay, well, we're actually going to go about this even more deliberately and even slower than we might have had you brought this to us behind closed doors. So I don't think we're talking about something being imminent. Zadorov's going to play Tuesday in Montreal to wrap up this three game road trip. But let's assume they do make a deal. Let's assume that in the next three months, a deal is made sending Nikita Zadorov to another team. What kind of deal could or would or Even should that look like? And I guess before we actually get into what returns could look like, you got to first ask about what the philosophy of a trade should look like. As in, would that be a, a trade involving futures only? Or would that be a trade where you're trying to help yourself right now and bring back a forward or bring back a defenseman or something like that? I know where I would lean. I think it just makes sense to, that's a, it's an easy way to try to recoup some assets. It's an easy way to get yourself even younger, and it's an easy way to pivot a little bit by moving him out for picks and picks and prospects and stuff like that. But what about you?
0: Yeah, I think that's where I'm I'm leaning towards right now. I, I do wonder the fact that it's still early on this season and as disappointing as it's been a month and a half into the season, I do wonder if there's an appetite for management. Again, this isn't the way I would go, but I wonder if it being this early on in the season, Pat, if management doesn't say, look, if we could get, say some scoring help in return for Nikita Zadorov, would that help us down, you know, the road, the rest of this season? Is there a complimentary player to be had for one Jonathan Huberto that perhaps would kickstart his game? I don't know what the, likelihood of that is, I, I do wonder because again, we are so early on in this season and as much as you might want to feel like things are decided one way or another, I think maintaining optimism is something that even the the, the best general managers will have to do um, in an NHL season. I, I wonder if that's not an opportunity that they explore um, with teams that are interested in a guy like Nikita Zadorov I know I'm with you. I'm in the boat of If it's not draft picks, then I would like to see perhaps younger, higher upside players that come back in the deal. I wouldn't be adverse to, you know, uh, say in the mold of a a Zadina, Philip Zadina, right? And someone that's uh, got some high end potential. Like more of a
2: reclamation project? or
0: Yeah, I think taking a buy low opportunity on a high draft pick. Right, somebody like that to to bring into the Kind of similar to what
2: they did with Toffoli, bringing in Sharon Govich, a guy that they're like, well, he had a rough year, but we think that we can get him back yeah, to where he was Yeah, something like before. that wouldn't,
0: or even younger than Sharon Govich, honestly wouldn't wouldn't bother me in that sense if that's a, a road you wanted to take. Like,
2: I don't think that making a Zadorov trade is a declaration one way or the other in terms of what direction you're going, just because the guys requested a trade very publicly has requested a trade. I think we all expect at some point in the next number of months, Nikita Zadorov will get traded. So I don't know if you necessarily need to lump it into the, okay, well they're going in a different direction and they're trading Hannafin and they're trading Tanev and they're trading Lindholm and they're pivoting and they're going to kind of punt on this season and try to try to build for more than just this year. I don't think Idorov move necessarily signifies that, however, I do think that if even if you even if it doesn't signify the start of a retool or a rebuild or a different direction, just get things you need, and this team this team needs less middle of the road talent, this team needs less potential players that could help them right now. I don't think there's any way that you're getting somebody for Nikita Zadorov that is making you drastically better anywhere else on your roster right now. And that's not a knock on Nikita, because I do think that he is going to be coveted by a number of different teams. And I've got some interesting trade examples to throw at you in terms of what you could get. But I don't know if you could get the commensurate value for a right now type player, because Logo, I think a team that's going to go get Zadorov as a pending unrestricted free agent is looking at right now. They're looking at trying to use him in the playoffs. They're looking at trying to use his unique combination of skill and size and skating and physicality to help their team right now and to help them get deeper in the playoffs and to give them a deeper blue line. So I don't know if you're going to be getting the type of player that could even help you right now from the teams that are willing to pay the most.
0: No, I don't think I don't think you're going to in any way, shape, or form, and I don't think that there's like to your point. I don't think that there's that name out there for Nikita Zadorov that changes the fate of the Calgary Flames season one way or another. You are talking about a bigger deal that involves perhaps another one of the UFAs? I'd be willing to have that conversation, maybe. Right. But straight up, if Nikita Zadorov is the only asset going out for the Calgary Flames, do I see? Uh, a world coming in, uh, a a player return coming in that changes the fate of what this group is or changes the dynamic of what this group is. No, I, I don't think that that's reasonable to expect. I think if you're the flames,
2: you've got a number of months until the early March trade deadline, set your price and hold, hold fast on that price and see if you can't start getting some teams working against one another. And maybe it takes four or five weeks, but then you finally get that price. I feel like this is, this is the price that I feel like is realistic, especially as you get into the new calendar year, especially as you move towards the trade deadline actually being on the horizon. It feels like a second and a third round pick is a realistic target. And maybe, maybe you get lucky and a team's going to give you a conditional first based on playoff success. Maybe you get a team that is willing to go to that level or, or, Maybe you're able to get two seconds, uh, a second this year and a second next year based on getting teams bidding against one another, but a second and a third round pick that feels for a 28-year-old defenseman who can skate, who can put up decent points, whose offensive game is developing in his late 20s. And with his size and his willingness to use that size, it just feels like he'd be a guy that teams might be willing to overpay for in that there might be, if if a deal gets made, there might be people saying, whoa, they gave up what for Zadorov?" I got some examples for you, but second and a third, that's kind of a ballpark for me that seems reasonable for this player.
0: Yeah, you know what? I don't disagree with that. I just, I wonder with all the noise around this that came out of those tweets from Dan Milstein and eventually from You Kevin might have, Weiss. You
2: have to wait for it.
0: Exactly. But I also think that there's two parts to this. For, the first thing is, I think Craig Conroy has to, if he is going to trade Nikita Zdorov in an expedited fashion, which I mean, could still be December for all we know, I think it's going to be important for a couple of reasons. The main one I think is, you have to understand, in my mind, I think he's setting the market for himself, in a sense. Knowing that he can have two more UFA defensemen and a potential UFA centerman coming up, I think whatever that first deal is, and it would be one of the first major moves of the NHL season. We're, we're pretty quiet as far as trades go in the first few months of the year. I think you could do you go a long way to sort of setting your market for potential future trades down the road. But I also, I mean, I don't know if if everything that we've heard is led to be true, and I mean, it would be a fool's errand to believe everything that you've heard on Twitter, but uh, we have Canucks Insider saying that this is a guy that Canucks covet badly, and uh, today on November 15th, they are not only interested in him, but they'll be interested in him on July 1st, regardless of how this season goes. That There's guys on the Toronto Maple Leafs to Nikita Zadorov, we need face. you. We need you. You're the guy that we need in this locker room, and by his agent's own accord, he's the best defenseman on the Calgary Flames. I mean, shouldn't we be looking higher for Nikita Zadorov than just a second and a third? I'm, I'm not saying I disagree with you, but I'm just saying if there is that much buzz about a guy. Well, you that, might
2: be right, because here... So let me let me throw some of the last season comparables I went and dug up getting ready for the show. So here's just a few of the defensemen who moved in the weeks leading up to the trade deadline and what the teams who moved them got back. So uh, the Minnesota Wild decided that they really wanted John Klingberg. I don't know why, but they did. Um, they gave up a fourth-round pick, Nikita Nesterenko, and Andre Schuster. Now, uh, Andre Schuster's... Um, uh, more of a journeyman player, but Nestorenko and a fourth round pick were kind of the things that Anaheim got in return for Klingberg. Okay, Dmitry Kulikov went to Pittsburgh for a th- Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh for a third round pick and Brock McGinn. So a third round pick and a player for Kulikov. I think Zadorov will have a whole lot more interest than Kulikov, and I Kulikov would got a third round pick. Now, Jacob Chikrin was kind of the crown jewel last year. Jacob Chikrin went to Ottawa for a conditional first and two seconds. Philip Roenick went to Vancouver for a conditional first and a second. So those are kind of the high watermarks. Chikrin a first and two seconds, Roenick a first and a second. Luke Shen got a third-round pick from Toronto. Rasmus Sandin went to Washington for a first and Eric Gustafson. And Jacob Megna, who would be the kind of—and I don't sounds mean, but from an NHL scaling standpoint, would kind of be the the low water mark. He got a fourth round pick. So, as you can tell, I, I think that Zadorov slots in somewhere in the high middle of that conversation. If if Ronik and Sandine and Chikrin are the top level, yeah. all those guys got first round picks. Zadorov, I don't think slots in that far underneath and he's definitely closer to that than he is the Magnus and Shens, right? And Klingberg, yeah. Yeah,
0: Yeah, I I think that's a fair, I think that's fair. I think you're talking about younger high-end assets in Sandine, Roenick, and Chikrin, Chikrin, right? Those are all guys that were younger than Nikita Zadorov. I would say for the most part, hold a higher... Offensive. Although so Nikita's had a pretty decent one himself, uh, offensively the last couple of years. Yeah, I'd say I would ballpark right in between both of those. I, there's a tier there that Nikita Zadorov exists in that I think is 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 right beneath, right beneath those top end guys that you named.
2: And I think a second round pick feels reasonable to have as part of the conversation. And can there be an additional pick on top of that? That's kind of that's kind of my feel when it comes to Zadorov and then to your point about setting a market it's kind of like okay well Zadorov might get you this if you do decide to trade Hanifin or Tanev does Tanev come in at about the same level different player but older does Hanifin come in at a you know two or three notches or one or two notches above what Zadorov gets you younger plays far, further up the lineup there's it it just kind of I don't know if it sets a market, but it sets the intention and maybe sets a bit of a floor. So I think it's an important trade that they're going to end up making and an important decision they'll end up making, which is why I think slow playing it, being really deliberate and not feeling like you have to do it right away is going to be really important. So you can get the best return and so that you can make sure that you wrestle back some of your leverage that you Got taken away from you when this thing went public. Well, and a few that's days
0: ago. and that's been Craig Conroy's mo with all the UFAs. If I'm uh, unless you see it differently, I don't think he's at, at any point changed the the narrative when it comes to trading guys. That if no, that hasn't stopped him from exploring contract extensions with some of them. But as far as trade value goes, I mean, we all went into the summer assuming that Noah Hannafin was going to to be traded and was the most likely candidate to be dealt by the Calgary Flames. Craig Conroy didn't get his price and by all counts didn't trade Noah Hannafin. So I don't see why you would operate any differently. And I think that there's an important side story being played out here between a rookie GM and an agent on social media that I think Craig Conroy needs to push back on. I think we talked all summer about you know, Craig potentially being fleeced by older GMs and more experienced GMs because he's the rookie and he knows he can't go in with all these UFAs and he's held his ground up to this point. If I'm Craig Conroy, I have zero intention. In fact, I might wait longer to trade Nikita Zadorov just to shove it in Dan Milstein's face a little bit, just to prove a point that I'm not and it's well, not just a Dan Milstein. Brad Turleving did the
2: same thing with Sam Bennett. A hundred percent. He's like, no.
0: You We're think not- the phone call is going to be nice between the two of them? No, I have nothing to do with the phone call. I'm going to wait out your client. Tweet every tweet that you have about Nikita Zadorov. I'm going to add another five days before I trade him, just to set a precedent. Because you can't have for any NHL GM, you can't have a, a, an agent out there on Twitter, you know, setting precedent for your team or demanding that his team and you bowing to those demands. Now, if he gets his price. And is he able to trade him? Sure, go ahead. But I still think that there's a, a bit of a back and forth to be had here between the GM and how he deals with player agents now that he's in a different position in the organization.
2: Let's read some texts at 969.60, starting with Mick, who says, I'm holding out for two seconds. Do you remember what Sharat brought in? Shillington and Anderson were both second round picks. Sandine's the best comparable for Zadorov, and it was a first. Hannafin's a comparable to Roenick, which I think is all fairly sensible there, especially like two seconds. Sure. That I don't know. I, I don't know if that's a guarantee, but it seems somewhat reasonable that you could end up getting that. A couple of people talking about Eckholm and that, that return. I left Eckholm out just because I don't know why I left Eckholm out, but it just seems like a little, he was so coveted and he was so perfect for what the Oilers needed. I guess I just left it out for that reason, which is a silly reason to leave it out. Uh, Dylan and Revy says, I think the tweet and trade request have dropped the floor value of Zadorov based on teams knowing Calgary needs to trade him. That said, it raises the ceiling value because of competing offers. Also, why do people care where the guy wants to go for once a guy has no trade protection, highest value period. Agree 100% on that front. Like, who cares if he wants to go to Toronto? Yeah. The only the only reason you would do that is if signing an extension in Toronto or Vancouver or wherever would get you a higher return. Like if you said, Yeah, yeah, we'll give you permission to sign an extension with Team X, but you have to sweeten the return, then sure. Otherwise, I would care l- send them to wherever.
0: Yeah, the agent can tweet or can leak to every NHL insider that uh his his uh client would like to go and would welcome a trade to I'd welcome I'd welcome to Team X. To go, sure.
2: I'd welcome to go work in Europe doing the exact same job. Be awesome yeah. who care
0: this, or just My employers would be
2: like, I don't care. Congratulations, you, you work in Calgary.
0: Yeah, good
2: luck. <laughs> um, this says, wait till the trade deadline to trade Zadorov. Zdor- trade You'll get a bigger return. I tend to agree that waiting till closer to the deadline is the way to go. Uh, Derek and Red Deer, what do we think of a swap for Z and DeClaire? Salaries fairly equal. Maybe DeClaire wakes up Huberdo. If that fails, you can still flip DeClaire again at the deadline for a little less than the return for Z would have been. I don't love that because I do think you're getting better return on Zadorov than you are with DeClaire, so I think you want to maximize. I think you could go get DeClaire other w- If you really, really want to do that, you could do it in other ways. Uh, Matt and Cochran says a second and a third feels low. Given how other markets make Zadorov seem like the savior to all their defensive woes, this says uh, don't trade for anything but picks and prospects. Trying to find someone for Huberto to play with, if absolutely, is absolutely asinine and ignores what the team has to do with the rest of the UFA crop. And finally, Big Mike in Maple Ridge says, uh, Patton logo. I've enjoyed Nikita Zadorov, but this is an un- ultimately mistimed, stupid, contradictory move." Call up the team for being too individualistic and then pull this crap. There you go. That's the text line at 960-960. It's Pat and Logan underway on this Tuesday. And whether you're a fan of sports or just a fan of great deals, Uh, Our friends over at 403 Local, they are the place to be. So every time the local hockey heroes hit the ice, you're getting the crazy game day special. It's two beers and a pizza for just 20 bucks every time they play. On Sundays, you can watch the football game, all the Sunday action with 50-cent wings and happy hour all day. Wings also 50 cents on Wednesday. On Monday, dry ribs, $5 a pound. They also have daily happy hour from 3 till 6. Lunch specials, weekdays From eleven thirty to 230 plus 403 is available for private functions. Visit 403 Local in Canyon Meadows and over at 403local.com. This is Flamestock. Join the conversation at 960 960. Sportsnet 960 The Fan. All right, time for a Tuesday edition of the Daily Flames Roundtable brought to you by Mercedes Benz Country Hills. The GLC 300 Formatted Coupe is built for winter. Loyalty lease rate of 3.99% on a 48-month lease. Zero down for $1,099 a month. No payments until 2024. It's Pat Steinberg, Logan Gordon, and now the voice of the Calgary Flames, Derek Wills, joins us to complete our Daily Flames roundtable. Tuesday night, it's the Flames wrapping up a three-game road trip against the Montreal Canadiens, and uh, we are going to see more new line combinations. Color me surprised. But one of the (laughs) new line combinations is a new center iceman for Jonathan Huberdeau. This will be the third center that he has played with this year because we're expecting Jonathan Huberdeau to start on a line with Michael Backlund and Blake Coleman. Gents, what do we think of that decision by the flames going into this game against the Habs?
1: Well, I think it's worth a shot. They've tried pretty much everything else outside of playing Jonathan Huberdeau with someone on the fourth line, but They've tried him on the first line with Elias Lindholm. They've tried him on the second line with Nazem Kadri, And now they'll try him on, and I hate to call it the third line because on a lot of nights it's been the best line, but they'll try him on the line with uh, Michael Backlund at center and uh, Blake Coleman on the right side. And I think it's worth a shot. Uh, Backlund does tend to bring out the best in his wingers. Even Coleman, he's got a three-game point streak going into tonight's game and his surprisingly, at least for me, tied with Andrew Mangiapane for the team leading goals with four. So he's been doing a really good job uh, with and without the puck. Uh, Backlund has throughout uh, the majority of his career and is a three-time 20-goal guy who scored 19 last season. So uh, we'll see if it works. Uh, Huberto traditionally has played very well against his hometown team, the Canadians, and uh, we'll see if that continues with uh, a new centerman, a new winger tonight.
0: Yeah, I gotta be honest, guys. I don't I don't love the idea of, of putting it with Michael Backlund and Blake Coleman. To me, it feels a bit counterintuitive to have a guy that is so offensively minded or should be so offensively minded with your best checking line. I, I don't know that if, if Backlund and Coleman remain as the line that you're going to put out against teams, other teams' top lines that I don't know that's a spot that Huberto excels in necessarily. I do agree with with your point, Derek, that Michael Backlund, you know, is never a bad thing to put on with somebody, and a lot of times has been able to to bring the best out of people. I just I think of what Michael Backlund and Blake Coleman do well or, or do the best. I don't know that, that matches up in my mind with what Jonathan Huberto does, but I mean, to that point, Pat, at this point, I don't know why you wouldn't try it. That to me is kind of where I come out on it is even though uh, my initial thought is I don't love it because I feel like you're you're pairing him with guys that do things differently than he does. Um, I also can't blame Ryan Husker because to this point, nothing else has really worked for Jonathan either.
2: So I actually, um, I don't mind the premise of it because I, I actually think going back to last year in the, I want to say there's... Th- seven or eight games that Huberto and and Backlund played together on a line, mostly with Coleman. They actually had some pretty decent success five on five. And, and I thought actually it was probably the best line that Huberto played on uh, throughout the season, which tells you a little bit about how frustrating his year was last year, but I thought it was a decent fit. The, so I don't, I don't mind the premise. I think you guys are bang on that. Using Backlund and Coleman as a duo to get the most out of somebody else makes a lot of sense. I just don't like the timing of it, guys. I, I, it doesn't make a ton of sense because I I didn't mind the game against Ottawa save the way the third period went. I, they played pretty well against the Sens. Five on five, they scored four the night before, and they had won the prior two games before that. And so they have one rough third period where they end up losing 4-1. I grant you it was a loss and a regulation loss. It just, it felt like there was a real opportunity for the team to let some lines breathe here. And and it's been something that has really not happened at any point this year. And the way the Backland line played against Ottawa, the way that that uh, dube Ruzicka line played against Ottawa, I know the Kadri line wasn't as good against the Sens, but Kadri, Sharon and Zary had been so good prior. And so it just felt like, you had this opportunity to let Lindholm, Huberdeau, Manjapani breathe a little bit and let all of your line combinations breathe a little bit. Instead. Now the Cadre line loses Sharon Govich. And now Huberdo's off that line. You've got new, another new winger for Lindholm. It's a, like right back into the blender. All four lines yeah. have changes on them. So that, so I, I actually, to the point of, of why putting Huberdeau with Backlund makes sense. I actually think I agree almost wholeheartedly. I just, wouldn't have done it now i i would have waited a little while longer to put your lines right back into the uh into the into the blender like they have
1: that's fair um while i make a point can you quickly look up zone starts for Lindholm and or sorry for huberto and for backman because yeah. i think that could be uh, a good conversation to have as well but you know we're talking about the flames need to get jonathan huberto going here what about their need to get elias Lintome going Also, It's something that probably hasn't been talked enough about, guys. I mean, Jonathan Huberdeau is goalless with three assists in his last 10 games. Elias Lindholm is pointless in four and goalless with two assists in his last nine games. Is it the chicken or the egg? I don't know. But they need to get both of those guys going. So uh, for, for that reason, I don't mind trying some new combinations with the Lindholm and Backlund lines. But I agree, the one line that I wouldn't have touched was Nazem Kadri between Connor Zary and Yegor Sharangovic. So I can't quite wrap my head around that one.
2: Zone starts, by the way. Uh, Backland is the lowest offensive zone start on the team at five-on-five. Five. So ratio to offensive and defensive zone starts, he's starting uh, 38.5% of his starts in the offensive zone. So almost 65% of the time he's starting in the defensive zone. As for Jonathan Huberdeau, uh, he's got the second-highest offensive zone start among regular players at 65.3%. Only player with a higher uh, ratio is Kadri at over 70%. So, yeah, big uh, discrepancy in terms of offensive zone start so far this year.
1: Yeah, and and I, I figured it would probably uh, go that way, but that's one of the reasons why on paper this this combination of Backland and, and O doesn't make much sense to me because way more often than not, Michael Backlund's line is, as Logan pointed out, playing against the other team's top line and starting in the defensive zone, where with Jonathan Huberto, you probably want to get away from the tough matchups if if you're him, and you probably want to start him in the offensive zone. But what has looked good on paper, and that's Huberto and Lindholm, has not worked for more than a season. So I can see it from... From both perspectives, I really can. I, I do wonder if you left it alone, if it could start to work. But there's a pretty big sample size now, guys, and it hasn't worked. For right. either guy. Yep.
2: Um. Okay, so we'll see how that works. Huberto on that line. We'll see how long it lasts Tuesday against Montreal. It's our Daily Flames roundtable with Derek, Logan, and Pat. Um. Because they're playing Montreal... And because it's only season two of Sean Monaghan not being a member of the Flames, I just wanted to throw this out there. Uh, Sean has six goals and 13 points in 15 games to start the season with the Habs. Last year before his season ended prematurely with in- injury, he had 17 points in 25 games. Well, Sean's been pretty productive since getting to Montreal. Listen to him on Tuesday morning prior to the game, and he talked about how he's enjoying... He, he said... Hockey sucked for a little while there, but he's enjoying playing the game again. Were, were some people perhaps, and I, I'm not putting Logan or Derek in the conversation, but I am putting myself in the conversation because I, I do know that I probably was one of these people. But were uh, some of us perhaps a little hasty to say Monaghan's time as an effective, productive NHLer were done knowing what we've seen so far in his time in Montreal?
1: Well, in defense of those who said it or thought it, I was wondering if he would ever be close to 100% again. I mean, I I tried to dig up all the surgeries today in prepping for this game. I think he's had seven. His left wrist, wrist twice, his left hip, his right hip, two herniated discs, his left groin and his right groin. Am I missing anything?
2: Sounds sounds about right.
1: I mean, that's a lot of surgeries for a guy who hasn't turned 30 yet. Yeah, I don't think it was about a lack of skill or uh, a lack of heart. God, some of the injuries he played through during his nine seasons with the Flames leaves me shaking my head. And I don't think it was about age. He's not 30 yet, but that's a lot of surgeries, guys. And at some point, <laughs> most would probably wave the white flag and said, okay, I've and you know, I've had a good career. He's four games away from 700. I wasn't sure he'd get there. He's eight points away from 500. Uh, he's made millions of dollars. He can live comfortably for the rest of his life. He doesn't have to do this. Clearly he wants to do this. He loves to play the game and it's so good to see him healthy again. Even when we saw him last season and remember how emotional his return to Scotiabank Saddledome was, I almost made him cry. Uh, during uh, media availability before that game remember he was playing with a foot injury we saw him walk into the building with a walking boot on that night he sucked it up he played the game as he did so many times as a member of the flames but unfortunately for Sean that foot injury likely led to what was a season-ending groin injury so it's just been one thing after another I mean Seven surgeries, and and maybe I'm missing one or two. I don't know. I spent about an hour trying to dig it all up today, and I could come up with seven. So uh, I, I wouldn't judge anybody who thought that uh, the Flames were were doing the right thing, getting rid of him. A- and hindsight is twenty twenty. and should they have given up a first-round pick to, to move, not necessarily the player out. I don't think that's what they were trying to do. They were trying to move the money out to sign Nazem Kadri. Should they have done that? Probably not. But again, hindsight is twenty twenty and they probably didn't know if Monaghan was ever going to, to be an impactful player again because of the injuries, not because he doesn't have the skill or doesn't have the want.
0: Yeah, I wouldn't blame anybody who, who went down that road because I, I think I was one of those people who maybe wasn't at the point that he'd never come back to, to playing in the NHL again, Pat, but I was pretty close to it. I mean we really have to go back to those last two years in Calgary guys and remind ourselves how bad it got like Sean Monaghan was struggling to be this team's fourth line center on a night in night out basis. That's how bad it was. That's a far cry from a guy that was a lock to score 20 and pushed 30 goals uh, for the first couple years of his NHL career when he was healthy. So I, I wouldn't have blamed anybody. I still looking back now, wouldn't have blamed anybody who questioned it because it was such a steep drop off and injuries are so out of your control. And, Even knowing his time in Calgary, the guy wanted it so bad that sometimes it probably got in the way of his of his health day to day, right? There were probably times where, you know, it was, you know, look, Sean, we can get this surgery or, you know, you can play through it and we can deal with it in the off season. And I feel like, you know, to your point, Derek, going through all those injuries and the ones that we know of, I'm sure there are ones out there that weren't talked about, that weren't brought up to the public eye that, you know, Sean probably put himself ahead of his his own physical well being to get there, it did get pretty low. So I don't blame anybody who who felt that way because it was such a steep drop off. And even year one in Montreal guys only lasted 25 games. Yeah. And it went right back to being what sort of hampered Sean Monahan. So even to, to that point, looking at it now, if you were to still tell me after this great start to the season, and it has been great. And I had Eric Angles on Sportsnet today earlier today and He said right now, if he had a vote for the Masterton, it would be Sean Monaghan. That's how good Sean Monaghan's looked and how competitive he's been to come back and be healthy. But if you were to tell me today that you still feel sort of murky about Sean Monaghan's future, just based on the fact that he's gone through so much, and, you know, again, he's not 30, as Derek pointed out, I I wouldn't blame you for that either because there has been. Just
2: because of the history. There's
0: been so much of it. And, you know. Uh, ask anybody, your hips are pretty important to, to playing hockey. Uh, your wrists, I mean, his, his wrists, guys, the shot that we, we loved so much in Calgary that made him such a threat deep uh, in the offensive zone in front of the net, that just went away for a period of time, and you can't just get that back sometimes. So I'm super happy for him. I'm glad that he's excelling in Montreal, but looking back on it and, and sort of reflecting as to how low the lows were, when it came to an end in Calgary, I, I, I can't honestly say that I would hold it against anybody who, who went down the road of wondering what was next for Sean.
2: I, I definitely like guys, I thought he was broken. I thought that like, I just thought the body yeah. was broken. Like he here's a, at the time, like a 27 year old playing in a, you know, 85 year olds body with all the surgeries that he went through. It's I was like, I, I, I didn't see it coming. And I, At the time I was like, geez, it sucks because Sean was such a great ambassador for the team. And there was such a large emotional tie with this player to the group of fans because of what his arrival signified and, and a new direction for the team. But I was like, I, I didn't know if the guy could play again. And then when he only, he played well in the 25 games he played last year, but only played a quarter of a season before having to be shut down. So even then I was like, geez, I, I don't. I don't know if he's going to be able to be a an NHLer with longevity anymore. So I guess what I'm saying is, to, yes, I agree, Logo. That I, I still think it is murky about whether or not he's got the ability to be that really durable guy. He was like he played some 82 game seasons early on in his career. He was a very durable player early on. Um, so yeah, I, I do think it's still murky. But at the same time, I also think. I was wrong. Like this guy can still be a really good NHLer, and I'm happy to be wrong because I'm rooting for the guy. And and yeah, Derek, I think that in hindsight, you're like, yeah, maybe we wouldn't have given up a first round pick if uh, we knew what Sean could still do. And it was kind of tied to the cadre acquisition, obviously. But would you do something different looking back? Yeah, I wonder if they would. But I guess from this standpoint, I'm I'm actually quite happy to be wrong about it because. It's uh, it's a good story. It's awesome to see how Sean has gotten his career back on track, and if that continues, and and if he's able to be a more durable player once again, like he's probably got seven, eight more years in the NHL left in him because he's not even thirty yet.
1: Well, I guess the good news is there aren't that many more body parts that can break, yeah. <laughs> right? And I just counted again: eight surgeries, uh, wrist twice, both hips, both groins two herniated discs. And the other thing about all of those surgeries, fellas, is that it doesn't allow a player to have uh, a full off season to recover from the 82 plus game grind of preseason, regular season playoffs, right? You, you, You can't do what you need to do to let your body heal fully. And you also can't start to train as quickly as most guys around the league would. So The fact that Sean has been able to get somewhere close to 100% this season, and, and really even if you look back at last season, guys, so he was playing through the foot thing that led to the groin thing. He still had six goals and 17 points in 25 games before getting shut down. So he was pretty productive to start last season. This season, he's tied with Nick Suzuki for the team leading goals with six, and he's tied for second on the team in points with 13. So he's off to a fantastic start. Yep. And knowing Sean as we do, uh, I've got to believe that uh, as an older player on a young Canadian's team, he's been a great example for his teammates off the ice and on the ice as well. So I I couldn't be happier for him. He's a really good guy. And when he's healthy, he's a really good player, as he was for most of his nine seasons with the Flames. And uh, that's uh Good to see him having some success, and, and more importantly, good to see him healthy again.
2: Yep, no doubt. All right, Wellesie, well, we'll uh, see you in a few minutes. Thank you, man. Okay, see you soon. He is Derek Wills. He's Logan Gordon. My name is Pat Steinberg, and that is our Daily Flames Roundtable. As we start to wrap things up this hour on Flames Talk. our producers have been Cam and Taylor, and uh, as we wrap that up, wrap this up, wrap this hour up, uh, that'll do it for the Daily Flames Roundtable for Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. The GLC 300 4-Matic Coupe is built for winter. Loyalty lease rate of 3.99% on a 48-month lease. Zero down for 1099 a month. No payments until 2024.